and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Heard the big voice, Mitch and Steve. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. Got Trevor Henry behind the glass. We're here in the Octane Community Studios for the next two hours today. Setting you up for another edition of Spring Training Diamondbacks Baseball. Steve, Ooh, how are you doing today? One o'clock baseball. I know. it's That's a good feeling. It's my favorite words during the spring season is one o'clock baseball. One o'clock baseball. I looked at spring training tickets. They're ridiculously priced. Specifically, ridiculously. and I have no problem calling this team out because I have no affinity to this team whatsoever. But Dodgers, man, come on. What are you doing? Well, no offense to your team, but I, I looked for some tickets in Scottsdale at uh, the uh, Giants. I'm not too surprised by Ridiculous. that. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous money. I have the other spend. one that I'm kind of surprised by, maybe I shouldn't be, Padres tickets in Peoria. That's a great ballpark, too. These are some That's, of the better ballparks, okay, too, that but we're it's also about. like $60 a pop to sit in the grass. I know. What are we doing? It used to be like 10 bucks to sit in the grass because you're not really, it does, it's not really a seat. You know what I think happened? And- you know, this probably is obvious to most people who paid attention to, you know, what has happened the last three years or so. COVID hit, right? Obviously, spring training swiftly got canceled. And then when spring training slowly but surely came available to the public again in 2021, whatever it was, limited fans. So ticket prices were a lot higher as a result because you're letting in fewer people and you need to make up the revenue somewhere. But even now, the ticket prices are just some of them, in some places, I should say, are just absurd. No other sport has the enthusiasm around its preseason like baseball does. Because it takes because a whole month. Spring training is like a, it's like a destination. People come to town. They book hotels. I've got family coming into town just for baseball games later this month. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like a destination. You don't see that with NBA preseason. You don't see that with... NFL preseason games. I mean, those will sell pretty well because it is still the NFL. But, I mean, baseball preseason is becoming a thing. It has been for a while. Yeah. And you know what? It's all. It's always good for, like, the economy here. It's always good for the economy in Florida. It makes... It does well. It does well, especially coming off of a Super Bowl, especially coming off of the Waste Management Phoenix Open like it does every year. And then, if I'm not mistaken, next year is going to be the Final Four is in Arizona, in Glendale. So there's going to be a lot going on in the spring for the next little while. And hopefully, something that we'll be celebrating in the spring is this team. Back to book with nine on the shot clock. He sizes up DeRozan. Dribbles with the left hand. Now starts to penetrate. Baseline. Fade away. 20-footer. That is money for Devin Booker. That's 34 points on the night. As we approach four minutes left to go, the Suns lead by a dozen. So the Suns are officially 2-0 and when Kevin Durant plays, which is great. And yeah, and in dominant fashion, right? too. 125-104 last night over the Bulls. Right. You win by 21 last night. I think it was, what, a 14-point win over the Hornets or something like that. Uh, this was pretty close to what I expected. So I did a show yesterday with Luke Lipinski, and we were talking about what were the expectations for this game for Kevin Durant specifically. And I said, eh, probably 25 to 30 minutes and about 20-ish points. He played 31 minutes, 20 points. I was really only off by one minute. Look so you go. I mean... Let's be honest, this game was pretty similar to the Hornets game. The They're not particularly great teams. I would say Chicago's okay. I would say Charlotte is pretty bad. They were without their best player. 
So I think you're just easing in Durant, although he played the third most minutes on the team yesterday, aside from Devin Booker and Josh Okoge, who was fantastic, by the way. I was listening to some of the post game. I think even he was surprised he got all the way up to 31 minutes last night. 25 points, 6 for 6 from the line, 5 for 10 from deep. If he continues to hit open threes, and I think this is an important point to make with Kevin Durant in particular and only his second game with the squad. He has already shown a lot of confidence in his teammates because when he's getting the ball and getting double teamed like Chicago seemed to want to do a lot yesterday, that was their strategy was let's double Durant when he has the opportunity to attack. He was choosing to hit the correct open teammates and he's already trusting guys like Jock Landale, Josh Okoge who went off last night. And if those, if that's going to continue to be a thing we see from Durant, Guys like Akogi are going to need to go off like this every now and then. And I don't know how much you subscribe to box plus minus. He had the highest plus minus of any player on the floor last night at plus 24. And to do that in 31 minutes, too, that just speaks volumes as to what he can provide when he's on the floor. And we don't, we don't have to sum it up to statistics, right? We're sitting there watching it. We are observing what Kevin Durant has as far as a positive effect on this basketball team. I'll tell you what I didn't see coming as a positive effect, though. The defense. Like, even within the first few minutes of the Hornets game, he had the block in the transition three. He is a very sneaky option that can switch off of the the opponents that DeAndre Ayton is guarding down low because he's also seven feet tall and really, really long. I did not anticipate a Suns team that traded away their best defender to look significantly better Almost, just by the eye test defensively. I don't think Kevin Durant has ever gotten the credit he deserves for his defensive effort. He plays really good defense. He's obviously a freak of nature. He's seven feet tall. He's got a wingspan of like 12 feet or whatever it is. I mean, he's massive, so that's going to help, of course. And he's just a very talented player and athletically gifted. All of that adds up pretty well. But even like we saw Mikel Bridges was on with J.J. Redick on his podcast, The Old Man of the Three, and they even asked him to kind of, you know, compare apples and oranges. How did you feel about being traded for Durant? And he goes, well, I think I'm the better defender. But I mean, come on, that's Kevin Durant over there. Right. <laughs> like, who are we talking about here? And we'll talk about Bridges here in a little bit. But I, I think you bring up a good point. If you look at the defense in the second half, I mean, in the second half, the Bulls only scored 40 points. 21 in the third, 19 in the fourth. And they were leading going into the half. That that was a really weird second quarter. Oh, where bizarre. Where all of a sudden the Suns just, you know, couldn't score and they fell behind on defense and the Bulls took a complete advantage of it. And I want to say the first quarter where the Suns had 40 points, I want to say that's one of their higher quarters that they've had all season long. And then you go into the second quarter and just completely collapse. Both defensively and offensively, you only put up 20. Yeah. So, but then they shut the Bulls down in the second half, and they looked like the Suns that we were all anticipating to see. Whatever adjustment was made at halftime, and I don't know if that's a rah-rah speech from Monty Williams. I, I don't know if that's their style. I don't know if it's Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Chris Paul looking around the locker room and saying, guys, what are we doing here? Uh, I don't know if it was even anything that needed to be said. Maybe you look around the locker room and you're like, guys, we're losing to the Bulls at halftime. Yeah. What are we doing here? And you just kind of it kind of clicks in your head. I don't know if anything was specifically said, but something clearly shifted at halftime where the Suns just took off and didn't, and they never looked back at the Bulls. At this rate, they might not be looking back for a while, but I think you and I can agree that this next game might be the true, at least from the national perspective and probably from our perspective too. This next game, upcoming Sunday in Dallas at 
what, matinee time, brunch time, basically, that might serve as the first real sample as to the Suns against a true competitor. 11 a.m. game. I know. They put it in a prime spot. The Suns against a team that has basically kind of been a monkey on their back ever since, what, game six of the Western Conference semis? Like, this Dallas team has kind of been a thorn in the in Phoenix's side for a while. And they've owned them in the regular season. I, I do think that there's a reset button that gets pressed to a degree at this point in this, let's call it a rivalry, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that because of how dramatically different the two teams look since the last time they even played each other. I mean, not only does Phoenix get Kevin Durant, but Dallas gets Kyrie Irving. I mean, these were the two biggest trades of the deadline, right? And, and let's remember, too, that, I mean, Dallas has had more games, more opportunities with Kyrie Irving to get him into the mold, to get yes. to, to mesh with him and the rest of the team. Now, really, it's if you look at the roster, it's Luka and it's Kyrie. And those are two players that, like Kevin Durant, they would fit on any team in America. Sure. It's really not that hard. I, I compare it to you show up to the YMCA and that guy that everyone knows is the best player at the YMCA walks in. Nobody's fighting over, you know, well, we don't think he's going to be a good fit for our team. Like, you, you put the best player on the best team, you're usually going to win the game. Right. I do expect this to be the first difficult, hard test for this iteration of the Phoenix Suns. And coming off of the game that Dallas had the other night, if you didn't get a chance to check it out Thursday, oof, they combined for 82 points, Luka and Kyrie. Luka with 42, Kyrie with 40. They're dangerous. A 133-126 drubbing of Philadelphia. And I, I will add this in, though. They didn't close out Philadelphia. They very much had, it was a 20-point advantage, I think, at one point in that game. And Philadelphia clawed all the way back. I think they ended on like an 11-2 run. So, yes, while Dallas most certainly serves as the first test, maybe nationally, maybe even locally for us just making opinions on it, Dallas still hasn't put it all together. Whereas what we've seen with the Phoenix Suns almost feels like he was their last puzzle piece and he just fit in seamlessly and we're not even trying to rotate it multiple times to figure out which little nudge is supposed to fit in which little crevice. I don't remember what day they got Kyrie Irving officially and that he started playing with the Mavericks, but you've got recent losses to the Pacers, to the Lakers. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they have two wins as a duo because Luka was injured when Kyrie first played. So that would be Philadelphia and San Antonio. Philadelphia is a good win, don't get me wrong, but yeah. San Antonio, I mean, you beat them by, what, almost 30? I mean, that's that, that's a scrub team right now. I, I Who's the best player on the Spurs? Jakob Pertle? I mean, I can't even name well, another Pirtle's player. Pirtle's not even on the Spurs anymore. He's not so on the Spurs. See, I don't even know a player on the Spurs. <laughs> That's my point. I don't even know. And they were just coming off of a 16-game losing streak. So, I mean, I guess to your point, the Mavericks, while I still see them as a good team and certainly the best team that they're, the Suns have faced with Kevin Durant so far, uh, that loss to the Lakers, I know it's only by three, but still the Lakers... That lost to Indiana, you lose by two. I get that that's close, but I don't know, man. I, I don't think their the resume with Kyrie is impressive yet, but we just know the caliber of players that they are. Kyrie can take over at any moment. Don't forget, there's this whole narrative here, too, of Kevin Durant facing his former teammate from Brooklyn. And this is the first time they're going to see each other since everything in the drama went down in Brooklyn. You wonder how that's going to work out. Really quickly, we're going to mention this before we move on to something else because you wanted to bring it up. Oh, yeah. 38 points on 13 of 22, 4 of 6 from 3. He had 10 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal. 
and was the pivotal lit and was the pivotal piece in a 115-105 Brooklyn Nets win. Mikel Bridges. How about that? You start to wonder why is he able to hit this next gear in in Brooklyn that he wasn't but I would I think argue because in his, this is the team where he is the number one option. I would, yeah. Well, that's true, but also too, I think he was already starting to get there in his last seven or eight games in Phoenix, and then when he went to Brooklyn and there was no Devin Booker in front of him, no Chris Paul in front of him, no no Kevin Durant in front of him. Certainly, Mikel Bridges, the ceiling is the roof. I'm going to keep making that joke, <laughs> and I, but. That's essentially what we're starting to see. Mikel Bridges could evolve into one of the better players in the entire league, and you have to start thinking as a Suns fan, are we okay with that considering what we gave up to get Kevin Durant? Coming up next, Diamondbacks baseball. It's getting closer. It's getting much closer. What has MLB.com Steve Gilbert seen from the team in the first couple of weeks of spring? We'll ask him next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, back here with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Diamondbacks baseball is fast approaching spring training a couple of weeks in now. We wanted to get some insight from somebody very, very close to the team as to what he's seeing from the team. And that gentleman is Steve Gilbert. He covers covers the Arizona Diamondbacks for MLB.com. Steve, thanks for carving out a few minutes for us today. Really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. How are you all today? We're doing well. Thanks. Uh, we are from afar, I should say, because I haven't been able to see him up close in person yet. But we are all fascinated by just how fast Corbin Carroll is. And I'm curious <laughs> if he looks any faster up close and in person. Well, you know, it's funny. Normally when a ball's hitting the gap, you know, when you're in the press box, you kind of watch the ball. You're kind of seeing where the you know infielders are setting up for a cutoff. You're watching the outfielders. Same kind of thing that Tori Lovello said that he watches from the dugout. But when Corbin Carroll's running, it's hard to not just watch him run, and that's what Tori was saying. He's always kind of watching him and, and seeing how he circles the bases. It's uh, it's quite a sight to see. It, it, you know, he had that, the, the fastest sprint speed in Major League Baseball last year. So uh, definitely somebody that can fly and uh, fun to watch once he gets going. So do you think that because we, we can all acknowledge the roster is built with a ton of speed, particularly the outfield, but you've got a couple guys in the infield like Josh Rojas who could swipe 20 bags with ease. Should the Diamondbacks be emphasizing stealing bases, particularly with the rule changes, or is that just going to be a natural byproduct of the speed that's on the roster? I think it's a natural byproduct. I think it's something that they um, – you know, they kind of encourage anyway with Dave McKay as their first base coach. Dave is such a good uh, good at picking out what pitchers do, little tells that pitchers have. Uh, if you notice, sometimes guys steal before the ball is even delivered to home plate. That's because it's usually what we call what they call a Dave McKay special, where he's, <laughs> he's picked up on something that the pitcher does that, that indicates he's always going to go home when he does that. Um, and so you see a lot of guys steal some bases like that. So that's always been kind of a, a, a emphasis here. But I think that uh, it's going to be even more so with the bigger bases, with the with the pitch timer and all those kind of things. I think they're working on now kind of how to exploit those rules if they can. So far, they've there's been like a couple of pitch clock violations. I don't I don't know if I've been hearing of or seen any of the other violations, like with the shift changes and stuff like that. But how do you gauge how the players have been adjusting to some of these rule changes, just from your vantage point? Yeah, you know, I think there was a lot of skepticism at first. I think they're starting to get more comfortable with it. I think you've seen some violations in terms of 
you know, some, some guys weren't clear that they had to finish their first warm up toss um, and be ready to pitch with, with uh, 30 seconds left on the clock, uh, you know, between innings. So they, they've gotten dinged a couple times on that. Um, that's mainly been the violation is the pitch clock one. Uh, I haven't really seen anything as far as shifting goes or, or anything like that. Um, so I think, a lot of the players are kind of, you know, the younger ones obviously have played with it in the minor leagues, and, and they're kind of being leaned on by the veterans to, to kind of pick their brains as to how they they adjusted to it and what they did. It's kind of a turnaround from the way spring training usually is when you got the younger players right. uh, trying to get advice from the, from the veterans. We're talking with Steve Gilbert from MLB.com. And, Steve, I did want to ask you about the fifth spot in the starting <laughs> rotation. Seems to be one of the most... Uh, Popular competitions that people are keeping an eye on. We've seen a lot of, uh, at least some of the most innings we've seen are Tommy Henry, Dre Jamison, Ryan Nelson's in that conversation. But I heard Tori Lovello say last week that Brent Strom, the pitching coach, asked him in the offseason, Can we get more power pitching? They certainly added those names in the bullpen. If that same philosophy applies to the starting rotation, then does Jamison have the leg up already on those other guys? Well, I think Jameson has has pitched well his first two times out this this spring, so I think he he may have a leg up in that regard. I don't know that 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 when you're talking about starting pitching that they're as concerned about velocity as they were um, towards the back end of the bullpen when they wanted guys to miss more bats in crucial situations late in ball games. Uh, so I don't I don't know that that's necessarily going to going to play a, a role in it. But I think that uh, the way Jameson's looked so far has been very good. They're still still early in camp, still plenty of time for other guys to. You know, to to jump up there, whether it's a Brandon Fought or the guys you mentioned, Tommy Henry and Ryan Nelson are the other main uh, you know competitors, along with Dre Jameson. But so far, you know, Jameson's uh, first two outings has looked uh, extremely sharp. His stuff has been really good. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. I believe he's only had one outing so far in spring, and then he's got another one upcoming this weekend. Madison Bumgarner, I think there's a lot of, just from my opinion, there's a lot of pressure on him this year to meet the level of expectation that he's had for the past couple of years. In a scenario where he starts to struggle again, what do you personally envision happening moving forward with Mad Bum? Is it just bullpen, or do you think they just kind of ride him out as best they can? Yeah, you know, I, we're going to get confirmation from Tori here in the next 45 minutes or so, but he's supposed to start tomorrow and be his first spring start. Uh, we've seen him on some backfields and some simulated game action, but uh, the first look at him in a game should be tomorrow uh, in Goodyear against the uh, Guardian. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that. They, they made it pretty clear that regardless of what kind of spring he has, he's going to be in the rotation. Um, I think that, the, you know, they're going to ride him out uh, as long as they can. I think they're still hopeful that uh, – you know, maybe with some adjustments and, and whatnot that he's been working on during the offseason and so far this spring that, that they'll see some better results. One guy I wanted to ask you about, Steve, uh, he's currently leading the team in at-bats in spring early on, is Paven Smith. He's getting a couple of looks here and there. He's a guy who I consider to be on the bubble for making the roster for opening day. I think he's a below-average outfielder. I think he's a decent backup first baseman. But you have a first baseman who I think played like 160 games last season. So is Paven Smith, where does he fit into this whole equation for the Diamondbacks when it comes to whether or not he makes the roster? Yeah, I think he's in the mix for that final position player spot, you know, as, as is Kyle Lewis and uh, Emmanuel Rivera, kind of the, the top competitors for that. They really like uh, Paven Smith, uh, his approach at the plate. They like his swing. Uh, last year they sent him down, and, and with the intent that it was only going to be a two-week devotion to AAA to kind of work on his swimming a little bit and then bring him back, and then he ended up injuring his, uh, his wrist 
and missed most of the rest of the year. He went down to winter ball, was good there for a month. So uh, they're, they're still pretty high on him. Um, I, I think that they, he's a guy that they would like to have uh, as a possible DH candidate at times. As you mentioned, a, a backup first baseman. Christian Walker did play 160 games last year. I think they would love to have him play fewer games this year. Um, you know, it was a point of pride for him to always be out there and always be playing, but I think they would like to kind of manage his workload a little bit better uh, this year. Steve Gilbert with MLB.com covers the Diamondbacks joining us here on Arizona Sports Saturday on the Arizona Sports Line. Steve, I want to ask you just your broad view opinion of the the moves that Mike Hazen has made this offseason, particularly the two trades that he made. You mentioned Lewis, but then also getting Moreno and Gurriel, and then the addition of Longoria and free agency. What do you think those moves have done overall for the team? Well, I think they've certainly added more competition and more depth. If you look at some of the acquisitions he's made in the bullpen, uh, which you referenced earlier, kind of add some, some velocity and some arms that can throw hard uh, down there and makes for more competition, gives them more options. So I think he, that that's one. Uh, I think Moreno has looked really good so far at the plate, uh, catching-wise. I think that really adds to their catching depth. If you, you have both he and Carson Kelly. Um, so that's been a positive for them. And Kyle Lewis, we'll see, is going to get into a game uh, this weekend and uh, be interested to see what he can do. He's been battling a little uh, leg fatigue, Tory said, and that's why he hadn't been in a game this week. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what, what, what he can do as well. Christian Walker had 36 home runs last season. Dalton Varsho had 27. The next highest, I believe, that's still on the team was 12. I think was Cattell Marte, or maybe it was 14. Uh, there seems to be a lack of power after the trade of Dalton Varsho. Is that a big concern for this team? I know they're faster. I know that their batting average will probably be higher with additions like Moreno and Gurriel. But is there an obvious lack of power in this lineup? Uh, you know, the, the, certainly trading Varsho cost them a little bit of power, but I think, uh, you know, Gurriel's got some pop in his bat. We've, we've seen that this spring. You know, he's looked, he's looked pretty good. Um, if Cattell Marte gets back to the Cattell Marte that he was in 2019, um, you'll see some more pop from him too. So I think that they kind of feel like uh, the power will be made up in kind of the aggregate with some of these other guys. Because Corbin Carroll has a has a surprising amount of pop for for his size and and his you know his speed and the other attributes that he has. So uh, I think right now they're not overly concerned about their power, but we'll see how it plays out during the season. Steve, thanks so much for the time. Good to catch up with you. Hopefully, we can catch up more as the season rolls on. Thanks. Sounds good, guys. Take care. That's Steve Gilbert with MLB.com covers the Arizona Diamondbacks, getting ready for another spring training game today. That game upcoming later today we'll actually have for you on our airwaves one of the split squad games i should say they're hosting the padres at salt river field that one we'll have for you right after us at one o'clock coming up next has this draft for the arizona cardinals now solely focusing on one person and who is it that's next on arizona sports saturday Mitch Ferelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Still trying to figure out what the uh, Arizona Cardinals are going to do in the draft. Got that number three pick, but you're sitting pretty because there's a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be going in that area. Realistically, the Cardinals could be the first team to take a non-quarterback in the draft. We know that they could trade down. We've heard this as recently as this week that GM Monty Ford is open for business, meaning that they could entertain the idea of moving back. How far, we can discuss. But 
I don't know that I feel super confident that a position player other than quarterback is going to go at number one to Chicago, especially in light of the legal situation that Jalen Carter now faces. We got to the point yesterday, Luke Lipinski said something to me yesterday uh, about how he, if he were the Cardinals, he is no longer considering Jalen Carter. Nothing to do with the, you know, I like mean, unless what we ends hear up happening. Different. So, so for those that are unaware, Jalen Carter was, it was what was two misdemeanors or it was two warrants for his arrest. He was racing cars, basically. Like to like to surmise the the deaths of the former Georgia player and the former Georgia staffer shortly after their national championship win. Jalen Carter has essentially been connected to that, allegedly as, racing cars resulting in the injury and death of people. And this news came out earlier in the week for the Combine. He went, He did not speak to the media. He immediately returned to Athens, was arrested, posted bail, and then went back to the Combine to, to finish up the rest of the stuff he had to do with teams. But this is, this is a rather dark mark on this kid's potential draft stock. And, if, and right now, if you're the Arizona Cardinals... I, I agree with Luke. You can't touch him. I think even if everything goes as well as it possibly can for Jalen Carter from a legal standpoint, if, you know, he pays his debt to society or if nothing comes of it from a legal standpoint, yeah, I mean, even if that's true and yeah. that happens, there's not, I think his arraignment's like a week or just a couple of days before the draft even happens. So right. there's not a lot of turnaround there. Even if everything goes right for Jalen Carter, I think I maybe avoid that situation if I'm the Cardinals just because of how many distractions you've had in your organization over the course of the last year and a half. Well, so then here's what I wonder. Has this draft basically become Will Anderson Jr. or bust for Arizona? And by bust, I mean... Depends on what you're picking. But By bust, I mean if Anderson is not available in your original slot, you immediately just opt to trade back. If you're at number three, the way that they currently are, mm-hmm. and let's say that two quarterbacks go before them at number one and number two. It, would, it doesn't it, matter what teams. It would just, be impl- Okay. Two quarterbacks go. You have your pick of everyone else. Because let's be honest, they're not taking a quarterback. Yeah. I think it's Will Anderson, and I'm throwing Tyree Wilson in there. I know Daniel Jeremiah has basically made it his job to try to get Tyree Wilson picked before Will Anderson, but uh, I've actually surprisingly been uh, pretty impressed with what I've seen about Tyree Wilson. So I'm okay with either one of those players at that point. That's fair to say, but I also like to judge the value of the competition they're facing. Sure. And the SEC is a much different animal in comparison to the Big 12. And that is not a direct knock on Tyree Wilson because he's a fantastic defensive talent. I agree. But the teams that Will Anderson Jr. got to face during his final season and even the seasons before that were of a far better caliber than those in the Big 12. Now, we can also have the conversation about moving back in the draft. And where do you move back to? Because I think if anyone's moving up to the Cardinals spot, it's one of those teams that needs a quarterback. Seattle's at number five. Well, first of all, you got to be thinking about Indianapolis at four. I don't know that they would move up one spot, uh, but somebody might want to jump Indianapolis if they're still sitting at four because we all know they need a quarterback. Seattle's at five. I think that they're probably well invested in Geno Smith at this point. I don't think I mean, that are they're they? dra- I don't think they're drafting a number one. Is it smart to just be fully invested in a thirty three year old quarterback who just had his best season of his career last year? Played really well. For them. Not for someone else. Played really well for them. So is it a scheme or is it Geno Smith? I I don't know the answer so, to that. So I hate to cut the experiment short, but I've looked at the draft order recently. 
I feel like the lowest that the Cardinals will trade down to, just based off of the teams in the list and the order and who was most likely to need a quarterback, Tampa Bay at 19, who currently employ Blaine Gabbert, who is about 34, if I'm not mistaken, and Kyle Trask, who was drafted two years ago and has only seen time at the very, very end of games and preseason. Here's why I don't think that they would move with Tampa. Tampa Bay has their own pick in the first, second, third round, no fourth round pick, two fifths and two sixths. I don't think they have the draft capital to move from 19 to three. Well, so so what did Miami get from San Francisco? They got three firsts, right? They obviously got the first the year of, the first the year after, and then now the first the year after, which now belongs to the Broncos, but now belongs to the Saints. Right. So... They could give up future. You're right. They could give up future I mean, first and it's seconds. It's the same yeah. slot. Trey Lance was the third, the third overall pick. They got three firsts for him. I think the Cardinals could get a similar deal if Tampa really wanted to move up that high. Here's you the one get that- 19. You get the first next year, and then the first of the year after that. And maybe you could even get that second rounder. Here's the one that makes more sense to me: Carolina at nine. Yes, Carolina has their own first. They have two second round picks. Thanks to the 49ers. I'm guessing that's the McCaffrey trade. Yes. They have their own third. They have two fourths this year. So if you're looking, if you're, if you're Monty Austin Fort and you're looking for a return in draft capital that includes some extra picks this year, because the Tampa Bay package you talked about is future picks. It's next year's first. It's the year after that's first. But they are first. And you're expecting sure. this Tampa Bay team to not be good. Carolina could give you some of that. And they could give you an extra second this year and an extra fourth this year. Plus a first next year. You see what I'm saying? And you're, they're moving up nine to three. So in theory, the package for them is less than the package would cost for Tampa Bay. Because they would have to move up 16 I, slots. I guess the additional argument would be... Like, if you really want to get into the weeds about it, if you're getting future firsts out of this deal... Which you should. And these are... The two examples we're presenting are two teams in the NFC South, which went under 500. The entire division went under 500 last it's year. It's a wide-open division. It's wide-open. And you have no idea or hinting as to what team is going to break out of it. Because in reality, all four of those teams need a quarterback. None of them really have one. Carolina... They went through experiments last year, and they're maybe talking about bringing back Sam Darnold. Please, and they have a brand new head coach, Frank Reich. He would love to work with a first year quarterback. He would love to do that. You've got you've got New Orleans, who is going through their own quarterback crises with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. They're probably going to draft one, but they don't have their first round pick because they traded it to Philly to get Chris Olave last year. There's always the off chance. I feel like this isn't getting talked about a lot. There is a chance the Cardinals could move back. Let's say two quarterbacks go before them, and you have your pick of everything else at number three. The Cardinals could move back with another team that doesn't need a quarterback, but is interested in the premier pass rusher of this draft class, Will Anderson, or if they decide, Tyree Wilson. You could move back with a Seattle at five trying to jump Indianapolis, or a Detroit at six if Detroit wants to move up and grab an elite pass rusher. Like Las who, Vegas who, has a lot of who's needs. Who's the first team in the top ten that you can say unequivocally does not need a quarterback? Is it ten with Philly? Philadelphia. I mean, above them is Carolina, Atlanta, Las Vegas. Detroit has a quarterback but, that they like. But, but unequivocally? I don't see them moving off of Goff, right. but... 
But no, you're right. I mean, you could, in theory, draft another quarterback to replace Jared Goff so in the future. Li- so every team in the, the 49ers top- did it a couple years ago. Every team in the top 10 outside of three needs a quarterback. Chicago is an extreme wild card, of course, because their quarterback is young enough where they could decide, hey, we just like this person better, so we're going to take him. Now, their GM has publicly said that that's probably not going to happen, but who knows. Philadelphia was just the best team in the East. Do you think they're going to move off their quarterback anytime soon? No. And then obviously we know the situation here in Arizona. There's plenty of options for Arizona, but the question I think then has to be asked, are you going to sacrifice a generational talent if it means just getting more other talents? By the way, are you going to sacrifice an opportunity to get a Will Anderson or, in fairness, to Tyree Wilson in order to get a bunch of other players that help fill out the roster? Philadelphia has two first-round picks this year. Thanks to New Orleans, they have that 10th overall pick. Mm-hmm. And then they still have their 31st pick because they went to the Super Bowl. I mean, Philadelphia could be enticed to trade out, or they could just draft a really, really darn good player. Now, the thing is, they don't have a 4th, 5th, or 6th round pick, so they are not currently in the middle rounds. If I'm them, I'm probably moving back from 10 or from 31 and trying to recoup some of those picks in the middle of the draft. That's just my guess. Can I throw a huge wrench into this whole entire conversation? Is it going to hurt? <laughs> If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That's all I'm saying. Chicago's getting talked about like there are two options. That you either trade your quarterback, Justin Fields, because you're a 3-14 and 14 team, so let's be honest, you got a lot of other issues going on. And you can get a haul for Justin Fields. Well, it's funny because they traded away pieces that were help absolving those issues, and then look what happened to their defense when they traded away their best defensive players. Or you move down from the number 1 overall pick, and you try to get a lot from that. Those are the two options being tossed around a lot. What if they do both? What if, because there are four quarterbacks in this draft, right, that are being talked about a lot. There's Bryce Young, there's C.J. Stroud, there's Will Levis, but see, this except is, he eats bananas with the peel on, so we're probably is, not going to draft him. This is where I can't agree with this. Why would you trade out of the number one spot if you're going to end up taking a quarterback anyway? Because what if you're comfortable with any of the four? But if you What if a, Anthony Richardson becomes the darling of this draft? I, I saw you tweet earlier, the Josh Allen of this draft, and you can get him at four and you move down with Indianapolis, get a whole bunch of picks, and still get a quarterback that you're comfortable with, and you move your current quarterback and get a bunch of picks for him, too. This is a 3-14 and team we're talking about. Was Justin Fields good enough last season for the Chicago Bears that you say, all right, we can't, we can't give that guy up. He's the future. I think he's pretty good, but you were 3-14. and It's not translating to wins. You have so many other needs. I'm just saying, if I'm that GM, I would consider doing both. If you're comfortable with the third or fourth best quarterback in this draft class. But that's the key. Is you have to be comfortable with the third or fourth best quarterback in this class. It's the only way you, it works. And you have to admit to yourself at the same time that that person, whoever it is, is better than Justin Fields. Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't know if any of the quarterbacks in this draft are better than Justin Fields. Are you really going to start over? Two years into Fields? I'd rather start over at 3-14 and 14 than start over at, uh, I don't know, 8-9. and nine. If they were 8-9, and nine, I would not suggest this idea. They were 3-14, and 14, but Mitch. Every, but everything except for one minuscule thing, which I guess is kind of important to a quarterback, and that's the ability to throw accurately. Outside of one minuscule thing, Justin Fields was probably the energizer bunny of that team and down the stretch last year. how good were they? They didn't win a game. I know. They I weren't. understand. <laughs> they lost the last, what was it? They lost the last 10 games of the year? As big of a bright spot as Justin Fields was, he, I mean... 
They're not going anywhere right now. No, I know. You have a lot of needs if you're Chicago. I'm just saying, what what if they could move down? And in that scenario, you probably don't move any further down than four with Indianapolis. That way, Indy gets their guy at number one. Chicago gets their pick of the litter for the quarterbacks. It's still going to be a fascinating draft to watch in general. Uh, coming up next, we're going to take a look around the uh, Western Conference as the Phoenix Suns try to gel with their new squad. How do they compare to the rest of the Western Conference? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Oh, love me some Stevie Wonder on a Saturday. Thank you, Trev. Mitch Farrell, the Steve Zinsmeister. Western Conference is starting to... Well, I was going to say it's starting to shape up a bit, and then I realized that the Lakers jumped two spots, and they're still only... What is it? Three games out of a secured playoff spot. I'm so done talking about the Lakers. It's not shaping up. That's just the crazy thing about it is I. the more I look at the Western Conference, nothing is shaped Nothing is shaping. Nothing is happening. It's just a bunch of movement all over the place. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've been talking about the parity in the Western Conference for the last, I don't know, two months, probably at least. And the Suns currently sit at fourth. They're going to be anywhere from third to sixth at any given day. I mean, right now, the teams in sixth, seventh, and eighth all have the same number of wins. So the parity in the West is crazy. I said yesterday that I'd rather be in the West than the East, though. Because if it comes to a late playoff push, I'd rather play the Nuggets and the Grizzlies back to back than I would the Celtics and the Bucks, or maybe even the 76ers hmm. and the Celtics and the Bucks. So, I mean, listen, the Western Conference, yeah, it's going to start to take some shape. I think that I wouldn't be shocked if the Suns maybe jump the Kings at some point. I don't necessarily think well, that they're guaranteed to the, jump the anybody. The problem is, is right now the Kings are almost unstoppable. They've won every game out of the All-Star break. Two of which, by the way, have come against the Clippers, who have lost every game out of the All-Star break. And the Kings have also been thrown at their... at the. They've been thrown back-to-backs at them. I still don't like they buy... They have a ton of back-to-backs out I of this break. I still don't buy the Kings. I, mean, I just fine. don't you, buy it yet. Did you buy the Suns in 2021? Which one was that? The year that they went all the way to the finals. The year after the bubble. The year that they uh, were stuck behind Utah for the whole year, and everybody was like, ooh, we didn't expect them to be this good, but can they sustain it? I, I mean, I bought it, but I, I wouldn't have said they were going to go to the NBA finals. And I, th- I think we just kind of have to look at the Kings the same way, right? I mean, like, I don't think about Yeah, I don't think the Kings are going on a deep playoff run. They're that team. They kind of remind me of last year's Pelicans, although the Pelicans were nowhere near this high in the standings at any point. Where you're like, that's a really intriguing combination. The De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis, like that's really fun to watch. But I just don't buy the rest of the team around them as good as they're playing in the regular season. But as we know, being great in the regular season does not always translate. How much did we talk last season about how great the Suns were? <laughs> and JaVale McGee was talking about putting uh, you know, putting the foot on the throat, so to speak, and, mm. and really stepping on their opponents in the regular season. How much did that really accomplish for them when it came to the playoffs? It didn't. It accomplishes nothing. Well, so you've got a lot of familiarity with Cleveland sports. Mike Brown, does he make that much of a difference for the Kings, do you think? I've always liked Mike Brown as a coach. I always thought he was a he was a fun dude. I think he's got a pretty good idea of what he wants to accomplish on the court. I think he draws up good plays. I think he's good at a lot of stuff. There's a reason that, wasn't it Steve Kerr who hired him to come... In Golden State. Come be his assistant in Golden State. I think 
you should always look at the assistants for the best coaches in the league. Those are the guys you're going to want. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that. So I like Mike Brown. I like what the Kings are doing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to besmirch the Kings. No, no I didn't mean to like throw you under the bus with that. I but was... I do feel like I, I just don't buy them as a contender yet. I'm curious to see when they match up again because for Phoenix, that matchup I think comes in a few weeks against the Kings, and I believe it's... I believe it is in Sacramento. They've got the Kings two more times down this stretch. They've got the Nuggets two more times down this stretch. They've got they Golden the Kings State. March 11th. They've got Golden week State from shortly now. after that. Like There's going to be a gauntlet of games where the Suns with Durant is truly going to be tested as to see just how good can this team be. Yeah, and, may, and maybe it won't even matter. Maybe it won't even matter. Maybe the regular season will end. They'll be like the fifth seed, and then they'll just scorch their way through. The Suns' next five games, to your point. The next five games, we got tomorrow at Dallas. That's a big test. Yes. Obviously, Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic. Oklahoma City on Wednesday in Phoenix. That's not a super tough team, but they're a playoff team right now. They've been without their best player for the last couple of games. They just finally won, uh, what was it, a day ago yesterday. I don't know if we could take them seriously anymore, though. They've kind of fallen off. A week from today, Sacramento in Phoenix. That's the number three seed. They're ahead of you in the standings right now. Mm -hmm. Golden State, to your point, is on that following Monday. And then Milwaukee on Tuesday on a back-to-back with Golden State. Golden State has also not lost coming out of the All-Star break. And speaking of not losing in a while, Milwaukee could make it 17 if they win tonight. So this is a bit of a gauntlet. Yeah. Really tough games. Now, then you have, I I would call this the break. I'm throwing that in air quotes. (laughs) Uh, Thursday, March 16th, you have Orlando. Then you have Oklahoma City again on the road, and then you've got Los Angeles, the Lakers. Um, Let's call that a breather. Yeah, because there's some sne- sne- there's some sneaky play that has been coming out of Orlando the past couple of months or so. They're not good. Don't don't get me wrong. They're not good this year, but they've been significantly a pest to some of the better teams in the league. Now, if you want to. Try to find the silver lining in all of this. The end of the season, the end of the regular season for the Suns. Last four games: San Antonio, easy. Let's just chalk that one up. That's a one. That's a win. Denver, very tough. Here in Phoenix, though. So yeah, we'll see. true. Uh, then you get the Lakers, and then you get the Clippers. The Clippers have not won a game since the trade deadline. Those two, if I'm not mistaken, are back to back. Friday and a Sunday. So there is or, a day. Okay, between. sorry. The the Nuggets and the Lakers won. That's a back-to-back. Yes, that's a Thursday and a Friday. Yeah. So that makes the Laker game a little bit harder. But if you're looking at the last four games, I would say three of those realistically look like wins to me. Denver's a toss-up. But you're going to get a look at some direct competition. I can we, can we take a minute on Golden State? Sure. They might get Steph back on Sunday. They've been without Steph since oh, what was it? Since the break or since some of these games? I can't remember when exactly he got hurt. But they've won five straight. And some of them where they have looked dead at halftime and then all of a sudden come out of nowhere and win the game. The one against New Orleans last night and more significantly, the one against the Clippers on Thursday. And that's another team that just they won't die until you actually kill them. The Warriors, right? I mean, they're the reigning champs and they've jumped from bottom 10 to five since we talked about them a week ago. Is there a comp here between the Warriors and the Los Angeles Rams? In what way? Where they're the defending champs, but they're a shell of their former selves. I mean, the Warriors have kind of pendulum swung like this a couple of times. Remember the one year where they sucked so bad that they end up getting James Wiseman? How about this? You want your significant split on the Warriors? 27-7 and at home. 
seven and twenty three on the road. And they haven't really had a consistent stretch of basketball where they're just like, oh, they're back. This might be the closest thing that they've had. They've been like a 500 team all year. Yeah. Injuries in and out, whatever. But even when healthy, they've been a 500 team all year. You asked about Steph Curry, by the way. He hasn't played since February 4th. So it's been a month. Okay. It's been a month since that guy's played. Although you're just now trying to mesh with Kevin Durant, who didn't play for what, six weeks? Yeah, but the Warriors don't have to figure out meshing or anything like that. It's just putting Steph Curry back right. in the starting lineup. That's a good point. They didn't make any significant deadline moves. If anything, you mentioned James Wiseman. They subtracted him. They got back Gary Payton, who was key on their defense in their run to the finals last year. But he's hurt. He's recovering from injury, so he hasn't been playing. If anything, they're still trying to figure out the rest of their roster behind their big five. Or starting five, I should say. Yeah, it is one of those things, too, where I feel like the Warriors go as far as Steph Curry allows them to. And I know that that's been the argument about players like LeBron James in the past, and to some degree Kevin Durant as well, and maybe some of that criticism is deserved. But the Warriors, when Steph Curry's playing and he's hot, they're dominant. When Steph Curry's not playing, I mean, look at the last couple. I mean, I know they've won five in a row, but before that they lost four out of five Mm -hmm. when he was inactive. So this is a very up-and-down Warriors team. And to your point, when he comes back, yeah, maybe he's already automatically scheduled for 30, 35 minutes a game, and they're going to dominate. That could very well be what happens with Golden State. I want to amend something I said. I can't remember when I said it. It might have been, the, it might have been President's Day. Um, I'm not scared of the L.A. Clippers anymore. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I was thinking saying that, oh, they might be that sneaky team. you got to watch out for them. Uh, no, they've lost every game with Russell Westbrook since he joined the team. Every single game. If I can make a comparison, their roster right now would have been really good four or five years ago. Kawhi Leonard mm. is maybe the best player in the NBA at that point. Paul George is probably top 10 at least. Russell Westbrook is a triple-double a night. I mean, like, that's an incredible roster, even as recently as three or four years ago. I mean, two of them were teammates four or five years ago. It's a lot like when, remember when the Lakers went and did the whole Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, and it was too, it was just too late, right? Like, they had all these great players, but it was too late. Same thing with the LeBron era, where, yeah, they had LeBron, yeah, they had Anthony Davis, but they were bringing back Dwight Howard, and they were bringing in Rajon Rondo way too late. Let's not forget, they still won in 2020. Fair. They look like ass now, but they won in 2020, which is the goal, right? Can or you say that? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the Brooklyn Nets comparison. Remember when they made all those deals to go get Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce? And mm. Darren Williams is there. And, and it's, it's created like, the Boston team that exists now. Great. This, Yeah, that's true. Great. This Brooklyn Nets team has a bunch of stars from five years ago. This would have been really great. But right now, I don't know if it's the best fit. I don't know that any team should have picked up Russell Westbrook, to be honest with you. Which just makes the whole situation more sad. He Did you thrives? watch any of the game on Thursday? No, I didn't catch it. He's... I'd, I'd have to scoot back to emphasize how much space was between him and Draymond Green when he was guarded. But for the sake of the microphone in front of my face, he was like all the way over here, right? There was so much space between them. I'm going to guess he clanked it. Well, he didn't even shoot it. That was the problem. And usually in games like that, when a guy is backing off somebody like that, they usually shout out, he with us. It's like daring him. 
It's like, go ahead, shoot it. I don't care. You're going to miss it, and then we're just going to get the ball, and we're going to go score the other I think way. Russell Westbrook is just destined to finish his career on a team with no other good players so that he can just get his triple-double. No, he already get left his the paycheck. Lakers. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> a team with nothing, like an Orlando Magic. Hey, don't diss the Magic. Paulo Banquero looks great. Okay, fair enough. And so does Franz Wagner. Coming up next, we'll the get Spurs. back. We'll get our asses back on the rail. Tyler Drake, Arizona Sports Cardinals beat writer, will join us next. Talk about the Cardinals' position in the NFL Draft, that's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.